Hey Thrive, this is Michael Bautursa, and I'm here with you to share a message that I'm calling Jesus, Race, and Justice. And as you can imagine, the reason for coming to this topic is not just because Thrive tends to really embrace controversial subjects, you know, we've talked about things like homosexuality and pornography before, but this topic particularly because of some of the recent events that have been unfolding in our country that go back particularly to the murder of George Floyd on May 25th last week. And this has been something that has really been grieving my own heart, um, not just the injustice of the murder itself, but also just so much of the vitriol and the anger that's come out of our country since then. And I've really longed to see the light of the gospel and of scripture shine into this particular situation. And so I thought it would be worth just taking a couple of minutes and speaking to some of those things as best I can. And I want to just look at three particular areas tonight. Uh, number one is the gospel. Number two is the church. And number three is Jesus. So uh, just a word on three different things. The gospel, number one. The church, number two. And Jesus, number three. Um, the first thing is the gospel. Uh, you know, I, I myself will admit that I've oftentimes questioned whether it's wise for Christians to speak out on social issues. And perhaps you have too. And perhaps you might even wonder whether it's worth Thrive talking about something like this. And what's ironic to me is that when you look at so-called left and so-called right and, uh, politically, uh, that there are Christians on each side who will get indignant about the church speaking out, depending on what the social issue is. So there are Christians on the left who will get indignant when the church speaks out against abortion or same-sex marriage. And then there are Christians on the right who get indignant when the church speaks out against economic or social uh, injustice of some kind. And what's interesting to me is that the argument in both cases is that the church— Christianity, it should only talk about so-called spiritual issues, and it should be silent when it comes to social issues. But I would, I would suggest to you that according to the gospel, that's actually a false dichotomy, that according to the gospel, social issues are spiritual issues. Social issues are actually spiritual issues. And I want to back up what I'm saying with scripture. So the passage I would turn to is Galatians chapter 2. This is a story where the Apostle Paul confronts the Apostle Peter. You have sort of an apostle-on-apostle apostle confrontation here. And the reason that Paul does this is because Peter has fallen into racism. I'm not going to read this whole story, but it's found in Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. And let me just paraphrase it for you. What's happened here is that Peter is the main character here, and he's a guy who's been radically transformed by the grace of God. Peter's a Jewish, Jewish man, and so that means that at one point he very likely would have thought that people were saved because they were Jewish or because they ate the right Jewish foods. But what had happened was that God had humbled Peter. He had caused Peter to realize that instead, all people are saved by grace through what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. And at the beginning of the story, we actually see Peter living it out. At the beginning of the story, Peter is eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ because he knows that in Jesus, Jews and Gentiles are all in the same boat. You know, no one ethnicity is more clean or unclean than the other. But then along come some Jewish legalists, and evidently they believe that their Jewish ethnic background makes them superior to the Gentiles. And Peter, who apparently is acting out of fear, Paul says, begins to withdraw and only eat with the Jews again. Now, if you step back and think about this, this is an act that is not only contrary to the gospel, but also sends a deeply racist message. And the message is, you Gentiles are unclean, and therefore, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to be a good Christian, you need to only eat these Jewish foods. 
And so Paul calls Peter out on it. And, and by the way, this, it's kind of interesting to note that if the apostle Peter here is able to fall into unchecked racism, then surely all Christians are capable of this very thing. And so, so what happens here in this story is that Paul calls Peter out on, on his unchecked racism. And in verse 14, he says something really interesting. In verse 14, he stands up to Peter and says that Peter's actions were not in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, that's an interesting phrase because notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't try to address the problem by saying, Peter, you know what the problem is? The problem is that you're a racist. Instead, what he, he, he doesn't say that. Instead, what he says is he says, Peter, you're not approaching the issue of race in line with the gospel. And what that tells us is that the gospel has implications. The message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection should impact how we approach social issues, how we approach political issues, and how we approach any issue. I mean, in the same way that the gospel should impact the way that you treat your spouse if you're married, or if you, how you treat your employer if you're employed. There is no part of our lives, no part of our behaviors, no part of our beliefs that the gospel doesn't touch. And it's the reason why the famous Christian theologian Abraham Kuyper was, was known for saying that there is no square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. In other words, the way that we respond to social events in our country is a discipleship issue. The way that we treat people of different racial backgrounds, it's a discipleship issue. The people and policies we vote for, that's also a discipleship issue. Even the tone that we use on social media when discussing controversial topics is a discipleship issue. If you were to sum all of it up, you could say that every social issue is a spiritual issue. Just today, in fact, I saw on Facebook a comment where someone said, stop talking about race, talk about Jesus. And on the one hand, I, I get where this person is coming from. There's always been the temptation that the church has faced to take Jesus and to accessorize Jesus to whatever social cause is currently seizing the headlines. And, and of course, that danger is, is true always. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are times when talking about Jesus would also have us talk about things like race. And especially right now, we need the grace and truth of Jesus to shine into the racial tensions that our country is experiencing. I mean, I'm thankful that according to the gospel, every social issue is a spiritual issue because we need the light of the gospel to desperately illuminate the, the, the struggles and the vitriol that our country is experiencing right now. And so with that in mind, I want to ask a question. And the question is, if Jesus were on the earth right now, what would he be saying? What would he be calling the church to do in response to the things that we're seeing happen right now? Now, I'm not Jesus. You know, I'm not claiming to know exactly the words that would come out of his mouth, but we do have his living word. We do have the scriptures. And I believe that when you look at scripture, it would speak a word to the church about the present hour that our world is in. And so with that in mind, I want to look at just a couple of calls that Scripture makes to all of God's people. So this now is uh, the, this, this second thing I want to talk about, which is the church. What is the church called to do? What's the church call, how is the church called to respond? Looking at Scripture, at least one call that is made on us is, first of all, a call to lament. Um, you know, I, I know that there are people in Thrive of all different political persuasions, 
Um, we even have people in Thrive who are part of the law enforcement community. Um, we have people in Thrive who are from ethnic minority backgrounds. We're, we're a mixed bunch. But man, I, I would sure hope that regardless of the background that you come from, that it would be a tragedy to you that a man named George Floyd was unjustly murdered. And the first call that the Bible would make on us would be to weep for that. The Bible says in Romans 12, 15, that we're called to mourn with those who mourn. In the book of Psalms, tons and tons of the Psalms are Psalms of lament, of crying out to God about how unjust and broken the world is. We are called to do that. And in this particular situation, we can weep that a man died unjustly. We can weep that the man who was responsible for that death was a police officer whose job it was to enforce justice. And on top of that, we can weep at the fact that George Floyd was potentially a brother in Christ. You know, there's no way that I can know this for sure, but, but on, this, on, on last week around social media, there was this photo that made the rounds. And you'll notice that this is a picture of George Floyd. You can see that he's holding a, a, a Bible in the air. And there was an article that came out recently in Christianity Today about George Floyd, and it said that George Floyd left a gospel legacy in Houston. There was a, a story about how one time he carried a baptismal into a poor neighborhood so that people could be baptized as part of a church service. There was one person who was quoted in the article who said of Floyd that, quote, the things that he would say to young men always referenced that God trumps street culture. I think he wanted to see young men put guns down and have Jesus instead of the streets. All of these things, an unjust murder, potentially the unjust murder of a brother in Christ, all of these things should move us to tears. God himself uniquely knows what it is to lose someone because of an unjust murder. Because that was precisely what Jesus' death on the cross was. And as people of the cross, Christians of all people, ought to be the ones lamenting the tragedy of George Floyd's death. So at least one call that Scripture would make on the people of God is, is lament. Uh, and then there's another call that I think Scripture would make, and that's the call to hear or the call to listen. And I want to suggest that there are at least two things that Scripture would call us to, to listen to. And the first thing that we're called to hear is God's heart for justice. It's just impossible to read through the Bible and to not see that God is passionate about justice. I'm going to read just a couple example verses here. This comes from Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Do you hear there the call for justice? And then here's another example. This is also from Jeremiah 22 and verse 15. And this is where God is speaking to the son of King Josiah. And he says, Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. And what's so convicting about this verse is that this verse is saying that if you claim to know God and are not a person who is passionate about justice, then you really need to check your heart and see how well you truly know God after all. 
Justice matters to the heart of God. And if we call ourselves Christians, our ear should be immediately attentive to God's heart for justice in Scripture. But there's also a second thing I would suggest that we ought to listen to, and that is not only God's heart for justice, but also the cries of injustice in our world. And I want to also back this up with Scripture by going to uh, Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5, I'm not going to read it because we wouldn't have time, but just to paraphrase, Nehemiah is a a leader, a leader of the people of God. And there's a situation that arises where some of the Jews come to Nehemiah and say that some of their Jewish brothers and sisters are economically exploiting them. And Nehemiah listens to all of these complaints that have come to him. And instead of brushing it off, instead of, instead of saying that, well, you know, the needs of the majority outweigh the needs of the minority, we're just going to paper all this over, it says that Nehemiah ponders the things that he hears, and then eventually, after taking time to truly reflect on what the right response is, he confronts it. And it's an example in Scripture of how we are called to listen to the cries of injustice in our world and to not assume that we're above that. Followers of Jesus are called disciples of Jesus in the New Testament. And the word disciple is a word in Greek that means learner. And that reflects a a heart posture of always being open to recognizing that maybe I don't have the complete picture. And maybe there are realities in our world, maybe realities that have been experienced by people from different backgrounds than me that I'm simply not aware of. And so instead of immediately jumping on Facebook and posting a million and one arguments for why your side is right, maybe it would be better, I would suggest, to follow the counsel of Scripture, which would say that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And the reality is that right now, we have black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ who are raising their voices to testify to the reality of racism and injustice that they and their communities have experienced. Before we assume that these stories are wrong or politicized, should we not listen? Should we not truly listen if we claim to resonate with God's heart for justice? And then, one final call. There's a call here as well to action. And the very first kind of action that I would suggest that Scripture would direct at us is an actually, actually an act that is targeted against ourselves. And the biblical word for that is the word repentance. It's really, really easy to point the finger and to say, man, you know, the problem right now is it's, it's all of the violent protesters. The problem right now is law enforcement. The problem right now are the people who stay silent. The problem right now are the politicians. The problem right now are the people who voted the politicians into office. But the Bible says that ultimately, the problem is not so much out there. The problem is in here. And whether it's racism, whether it's any form of sin, the journey toward the heart of God always begins with looking at our own hearts and repenting of anything there that is not pleasing to God. And I need to confess that when it comes to racism and when I've looked into my own heart on this, I myself have been guilty. Uh, Just a really quick story. There was a time when I lived in the city of Spokane, and I was downtown one day, and I I was foolish enough to leave a backpack on the front passenger seat of my car right next to the curb. There was a computer. My laptop was in there, a bunch of other things. Um, You know, oddly enough, 
they're, uh, yeah, well, I won't go there. But anyway, I, I love my backpack on, on, on the front seat of my car. I go into this, this building and there are some, some windows out on the street, you know, facing out on the street so I can kind of see what's going on. But my car is just out of sight. Well, I come back about 15 minutes later, the window of my, of my car has been shattered. The backpack is gone. My computer's been stolen. So I call to, the, to report it into the police. And when I, I, I'm on this phone call, the person on the other line asks me, did you see anyone that, that, that you think might have been responsible for this? And it just so happened that, that you know, some, sometime while I was in the building, I, I happened to glance out the window and I saw a black man who was looking inside the window, kind of maybe seeing if there was anyone in there, it looked like to me. And, and, you know, there might have been other people who went by as well. But when this person on the phone asked me if there was anyone I thought who, who might have been involved, I mentioned this man. And I thought to myself afterward, why did I do that? Did I accuse someone that I actually didn't have any true evidence against simply because of the color of their skin? Now, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm alone and, and having an incident like that come to mind. But no matter who you are, no matter what your skin color is, all of us are called to begin the journey to action by taking action against ourselves and repenting. Second thing is that there is a time to speak. You know, we've been given a voice, the church has been given a voice, and in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, it says this. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And, and this is what the church is very often um, supposed to be doing. And, and one example that I think of is an example that happened uh, back in the time of segregation in the South. And, and Billy Graham, one of the most famous white evangelists uh, that was around at that time, was supposed to be doing a crusade in the South. And yet, because it was common practice to, to practice segregation at big events, uh, the organizers of the event insisted that it be segregated. And Graham said that he refused to speak unless it was a desegregated event. And in the end, he literally tore down the barriers separating races with his own bare hands. And in fact, it's not just other examples um, outside of the Bible where we see Christians addressing problems of injustice, but it's even in the Bible itself. Uh, one example of this happened in the early church. If you look with me at the book of Acts, there's a story in Acts chapter 6. And I want to read this whole story in its entirety. This is Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, thanks for letting me read kind of a longer chunk of scripture to you. The reason I did that is because I want to just have us get real clarity on this, this particular story. What this story tells us is that the early church had a system for distributing food to believers. But we find out here that the system encountered a problem. And the problem was that believers from a Jewish ethnic background were given preferential treatment 
compared to believers from a Greek ethnic background. And what's interesting about this story here is that unlike the story in Galatians 2, the fault is not said to be that of any one individual. Instead, it's a problem with the system. And one of the closest, it's one of the closest examples of, of what today we might call systemic racism. But what I want you to notice about this is that the early church doesn't turn a blind eye. Without wavering in their commitment to preaching the gospel, they call on some of their best and brightest to deal with an issue of systemic injustice. In other words, they don't just simply talk about it, they take action. And so this is an example of where God, through the Holy Spirit, was calling the church to deal with injustice in practical ways. And in this situation, there is likely a call on the church to do that same thing. One final thing um, is, is there's a call in Scripture to relationship call to relationship. Now, this one often gets overlooked because with so many people right now in our country who are, who are calling for different kinds of responses, what often gets overlooked is the fact that we're human beings. We're not just political units, and human beings are beings of relationship. You know, when you look at some of the responses to the racial tension, you know, some people are calling for there to be they're calling to be financial reparations to ethnic minorities. There are some who are calling for reforming the police and so on. And and regardless of whether those responses are right or not, there's one problem. And the problem is that though these political solutions might change the laws, they can't change people's hearts. And at the end of the day, without hearts being changed, both sides will still hate and tear each other apart no matter what the law says. Can I suggest to you that what we truly need is radical love? What we truly need is to build tables, not walls. What we truly need is to see people of white ethnicity and black ethnicity and every single person who calls on the name of Jesus to come together in the beautiful body that God has called the church to be an example of what that kind of radical love looks like to a lost and hurting world. And that takes me to the last thing I want to talk about. I've talked about the gospel. I've talked about the church. I just want to close now by talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is our hope. The God we follow is the only God who can give hope in the chaos our nation is facing right now. And I want to explain to you why I say that. The reason I say that is because it's only in Jesus where peace and justice come together. Justice, because there is no other God who is as committed to justice as the God of the Bible. When God was introducing himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, he identified himself as the one who does not leave the guilty unpunished. He's the same God who through the prophet Micah said these words, He has showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And finally, the greatest proof of God's commitment to justice of all is Jesus Christ. Because on the cross of Christ, Jesus laid down his life for the cause of justice. God looked into every single human heart. He looked into the heart of racists. He looked into the heart of people who are indifferent to racism. He looked into the heart of Republicans and Democrats. And in every single one, he said, I see sin and that is wrong. 
And God was not willing to sweep that sin under the rug. He wasn't willing to just legislate it away. He knew that what needed to be done was so much greater than just papering it over with politics. Instead, God exhausted all of the punishment that that sin, those injustices deserved on Jesus. It was a demonstration of the fact that God was so committed to justice that he was willing to bear in the person of his son the penalty and the cost of that justice. Whenever you look at the cross, remember that the cross was a judgment. But at the same time, the cross, which was the place of greatest justice, was also the place of greatest peace because the cross is the source of forgiveness. On the cross, God forgave racists. God forgave those who are indifferent to racism in order that there might not be bloodshed, might not be violence, might not be a continual cycle of injustice, but, but that cycle might be put to an end once and for all, thus bringing peace. And that's why we can build tables, not walls, with those who disagree with us, because in Christ, there is a bond of unity and of love that is thicker than blood, that is thicker than race. And that is why the church right now at this hour is meant to be the greatest place of racial and cultural diversity on earth. In the book of Ephesians, in a section where Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles, this was the original racial conflict in the ancient world. Here's what he says. About Jesus, he says, He himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. The end of hostility is found in Jesus Christ. And that is where the hope that this world desperately needs can be found. I just want to close with this story about a time when I got to see the church put this in, on display beautifully. Um, I was living one, one semester in the city of Beijing, China. And as you know, uh, as you might know, in, in many cities around the world, there are what are called international churches where, where expatriates can come to a church and, and, and be with believers from all different nations all over the world. And that's what this church was like. It was one of the most beautiful demonstrations of harmony and diversity and beauty that I've ever encountered. One, you know, one week we'd be up there and we'd be, we'd be singing songs led by a band from the United States playing Hillsong. The next week there'd be a band from Africa leading us in Swahili worship. It was truly one of the most extraordinary instances of, of the truth of the gospel played out. What would it look like if the church rose up at this moment and was that kind of community? What would it look like if instead of simply yelling at each other, <laughs> because you're on this side and I'm on that side, because you're in law enforcement and I'm a part of this group, because I'm part of this race or you're part of that race, what would it look like if we listened to each other, if we were lamented with each other, and if we pressed deeper into Jesus together, which is where true unity can be found. So thank you for letting me share these thoughts on Jesus, race, and justice. I know I haven't done justice to what is a topic far too big for me to cover um, in, in a setting like this. But hopefully these are all things that we can ponder in days ahead. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are a God of justice. Thank you that you are a God of peace. Would you help convert the unconverted parts of our heart 
so that we would approach the social issues that our country is going through right now with the heart of Christ. And I pray this in his name.